Welcome to Dev Mode, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies of modern web development. This is episode number 25, where we wrestle with the hard questions about ethics in our web technology. I'm Michael Rogg from Top Shelf Craft, joined as always by the illustrious Andrew, Andrew Welch. <laughs> Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. Yeah, um, Earl Johnston from Hypatia Industries. And I'm Marion Millivan. Marion has has gone so far as to sacrifice her uh, her dinner reservation to be with us on the podcast today. Uh, so thanks, yeah. thanks, Marion. Thank dinner reservation in uh, Italy. Yeah, that's, that's right, and very very ethically too. I walked over there and said hello. I'm here, but I'm canceling. <laughs> that does that does make mistakes when we when we clarify that the dinner reservation is. Uh, is a dinner reservation in Italy. Um, yeah, uh, so where in Italy are you? I'm in Piacenza. And the reaction that I get when people say, when I say to people Piacenza, is identical to the reaction that we got when we were talking to some other people about Vacaville. So Piacenza is like the Vacaville of Italy. Vacaville right. is a small city in California, otherwise undistinguished. It's actually, it's lovely. It's not teeming with tourists. It's very, it's very Italian, and I love it. Cool. Oh, very good. Very good. So we got together today because some some stuff went down in the community that we all took notice of. That sort of, you know, got us talking to each other about questions about ethics and morals and codes of conduct and and things like that. Uh, and so we figured that we would uh, just have a chat uh, and kind of. Try to try to unpack questions like: To what extent are we morally responsible for the intrinsic ethics uh, of the things that we build, and how much is it our prerogative to ensure that what we build is used according to our morals? And how even do we define and talk about morals and ethics in the? in the context of, of web technology. What does that even mean? And the thing that got us started talking about this topic was a pull request that went down on the, uh, the Lerna. It was Lerna, right? Correct. Uh, was, was the project that, uh, that got this all started. And, and Lerna is kind of a, a JavaScript package bundling tool that uh, sort of provides a framework for if, if you want to build a big project out of a uh, but you want to keep component packages separate then Lerna sort of provides a framework for managing JavaScript projects with with multiple package repos and stuff like that so it may be a tool that you've heard of maybe maybe not but it is used by a bunch of big projects some of which the uh, some of the projects that it is used by are like some palantir-esque things that were in use by agencies like uh, the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement Agency, and around about the time ICE was making news for uh, various scandals and crises on the border, uh, the package maintainers of Lerna 
uh, some of them kind of said, we don't really agree with, uh, with how ICE is handling themselves. And we disagree with, uh, like we take moral issue with some of the stuff that's going down. And therefore, our way of being active in uh, this conversation is to pull the availability of our technology, our open source technology from any project that is used by these agencies that we have moral disagreements with. And so there was a pull request uh, where basically the license of, uh, of Lerna was adjusted to be sort of MIT-ish, except that it explicitly forbade certain entities and their derivative entities from ever using software that includes Lerna as a component. And we're talking um, and about it, a number of big companies that were on that yeah, list. Big, Microsoft, big companies. Microsoft yeah. Amazon, Ernst & Young, Motorola, John Hopkins University, Dell Inc., Xerox, Canon, Vermont State College, LinkedIn Corporation, United Parcel Service, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Basically, anyone with any sort of connection or collaboration whatsoever with U.S. Immigration and Customs. Right. And, and this is not a podcast about U.S. Immigration and Customs. That just happened to be the blip on the news cycle that precipitated this sort of moral outrage that then manifested as this pull request to basically ban all of these organizations and corporations from using anything uh, that has Lerna inside of it. And so... This, of course, it caused an immediate sort of uproar of opinions of various people, both within and without the project, sort of debating both the merit and also the legality of of this move to to you know sort of relicense this uh, piece of open source tech so as to specifically ban certain users. And of course, not surprisingly, this PR was almost immediately reverted and there was a little bit of shakeup on the, on the maintainer roster of this project. Um, so it's an interesting case study uh, that sort of launches this discussion. So with that context sort of as the, the groundwork, like that's, that's why we started talking about this stuff. What are y'all's thoughts, just gut reaction to this specific case? Uh, is this something that the maintainers had a, a prerogative to do? Was it a good thing to do? Is it a useful thing to do? How do y'all feel about, about this case? Who wants to go first? I defer to you, Earl. I love it. <laughs> I, I think it's great. Uh, I, I, when I was reading through the comments um, on the pull request... Most of the arguments against it were basically keep keep politics out of code, um, which to me is it. Well, I don't even think to me. I think objectively, it's it's impossible. Uh, politics is most people. I think when they think of politics, they think of electoral politics and the dog and pony show. I know Andrew's a fan of Zappa. Uh, what he call politics? The uh, the entertainment wing of the military industrial complex, right? <laughs> That's true. Um, uh, that's that's but, actually but, very true. Right. But oh, so, God, I love that. Yeah. No, it's a great, and that's a, and it's a great quote. And I don't necessarily disagree with the, you know, the the pomp and spectacle of electoral politics is not what politics is. You know, politics is a way that society like deals with itself. It's it's civics, and so politics is the foundation of code because it can't exist without like a society. You know, society code came from society. So the idea of saying that, like, you can choose, it's, so it's an abstraction of politics, is what I'm saying. So you can choose to, like, ignore the abstraction, but it's always there, regardless of 
you know, whether you want to pay attention to it uh, or not. So the idea of getting politics out of code is uh, is impossible. I think if you define politics that way, then that is a reasonable thing to say. I think the average person, if they hear politics, they think of the dog and pony show. Yeah, which is which yeah. is fair, but that doesn't make them right. I didn't say. <laughs> no, I know. No, I didn't I, say. No, that I, made I, I know. Right. I know. Um, but but that's part of the and that's part of the reason that this interested me so much is because it goes to show how far uh, how far separated from reality the people who are making these comments are, because the fact that they don't even understand what politics is sort of negates their opinion. In my point, I mean, well, it doesn't negate their opinion. They're allowed to have it. They just sound like a dummy. So here's here's <laughs> the funny thing about language, though, Earl, is that <laughs> things get defined to be whatever people agree that they are, mm-hmm. right? So while I agree with you that the strict definition of politics is exactly what you're saying, that is not what people think that it is, and therefore it will be redefined to mean <laughs> what people think it is. I mean, that that is how language works, you know, and that's, um, a- as you know, I'm a, I'm a huge uh, proponent of, of free speech, and that's something that I'm on the, the same page with, with Zappa about. Mm. Um, but we have to understand that language changes, and language re- is produced by people and it changes over time there are certain words that meant perfectly valid things back in the day that now mean something completely different right Right. so we can't get too smug about you know they don't even know what the word means because the word means whatever everyone thinks it means like that's what language really is but I, i have a question for you though so you said you love it are you saying that you love the initial change that he made or are you saying that you love the Insta restore to MIT license apology and demotion of this guy from being a maintainer. No, I like the, the uh, I like the political the act. Fact that it brought up the ahead, fact that, it, that we're all talking about it is another. Oh yeah, I think it's very useful that it spawns the discussion. I just wanted Earl to clarify, like which part of it were you? Did you really like? Well, Rog was asking, I think specifically about the actual pull request, oh, okay. not the restore. Okay. Uh, I'm talking about the the pull request. I think that. Any person basically taking a political stance, when especially in, when business is involved, as that's for some reason commonly looked at as like supposedly to be politically neutral, which is okay. I'm always happy to see people take a stance for what they, uh, you know, what they believe in. And just to speak to you know your comments about language as like an evolutionary uh, or emergent like phenomenon. Basically, you're talking about things that change by, um, you know, society's standards. I think that's true. And I'm sure that we'll get into this at some point. I think that's true for um, morality and ethics as oh, well. Of course. Since, you know, since there's no objective morality with nobody to hand something down uh, on high. Of course. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, we can't... Well, that's a, that's a position that there's no objective morality, but not everybody will agree with you for sure. Right. Lots of people well, will right. say that there is a objective morality and I don't want to get into oh, yeah, all that yeah. nonsense. No, no, no. <laughs> all, all that I'm all that I'm saying is that, you know, we can't get too smug about, you know, all these people don't even know what politics means because politics means what everyone thinks it means. And it, if it reaches the point where right. every everyone thinks it means the dog and pony show, mm-hmm. and I think we've reached that point, then that's what it means. Right. So we can't pedantically look at the the definition that's sure. in the dictionary well, and say, you know, this is well, what, what it is. What they're talking about is the question of, by politics, in this case, they were talking about this question of, of ICE and, and uh, is it reasonable or not to try and influence whether this software is used for those ends. 
Well, I, I think an interesting question here too is: Did this? I understand what you're saying, Roll, in terms of everyone has their, uh, you know, when if an individual wants to protest, let them. And I totally agree with that from a freedom of speech point of view. But did this person actually have the legal right to do that? Is the question? Uh, as far as I understand, you're allowed. There's allowed to be sub licenses within the MIT license. So, uh, I mean, obviously, I'm not. Uh, but does he anything, own the entire anything. code base so he can make this? sweeping change and say, I don't care about everyone else that contributed. This is what I care about. Therefore, I'm changing this. I, I'm not, again, I, I'm, I'm not totally sure. Maybe if anybody else has any... The whole request uh, is a request, right? I mean, that's the process. Yeah. I know that the person that, the person that started the, the project commented on that pull request and said that they were fine with... Well, basically that they wouldn't have done it themselves, but they were fine with it. Um, but, but the person who did, the person who actually merged it in, my understanding is the guy that wrote it, mm-hmm. and he had the authorization ah. to then merge it in. So that's where it came from. This one guy, mm-hmm. believe his name is James Kyle, mm-hmm. decided that he wanted to make this change, and ah. so he so did the it. the question is not making the pull request, but merging the pull request. Yeah. He said, you know, this is what I care about. Boom. I'm pulling it in there. And then the question is, well, look, this is a... This is a project that's a joint collaboration between a whole bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Does he have the actual right to do that? You know, I mean, let's say that you have worked in a group on some kind of big project, and then someone has a view that is so antithetical to everything that you stand for, mm-hmm. and they decide to change their licensing terms to reflect that. Wouldn't you be kind of mad? Well, yeah, <laughs> of course. And then I, and well, I, obviously, this got reverted. Uh, and I'm not sure what the, does anybody know what the decision making process was that they went through? Or was it like a democratic process amongst the contributors and the moderators? Or did they just like knee jerk revert it because, whoa, like controversy? Um, I don't know the behind the scenes stuff. I would imagine that they talked about it. And it, it wasn't just reverted, by the way. There were numerous apologies mm-hmm. <laughs> that were issued uh, regarding this. And, James Kyle was removed from the GitHub uh, organization and no longer has even the privilege of making any kind of direct contributions to the code. Right. So he was kind of excommunicated for this. Yeah, but I mean that. I mean uh, that's that's the consequence of you know when you talk about free speech and stuff. I think a lot of people get that confused with you being able to say whatever you want, consequence free. Right. You know, all free speech is, is allowing you to, and I'm not explaining, you know, I'm likely all of you, uh, you know, know this, but this is a conversation that comes up a lot with, usually it's like some kind of straw man or something where people talk about more rights and more free speech. Uh, <laughs> what they're talking about is they, they seem to think that, that you're allowed to say whatever you want without any consequences, when in fact free speech protects you from pro- like persecution from the state. Yes. You know, like you can't be arrested for saying something. Right. But it doesn't mean consequence-free. So what this person did, this is a perfect example of that the person exercised it is. their free speech and within the constructs of GitHub, you, you know, performed, they, they went on their own and they did something and mm-hmm. now and there was consequences for that and they got kicked out of the project. Whether or not you think that that was right or not is a different... And, that, and that's the big problem that I have with this whole thing is like, I'm just going to abstract away this guy's views because I don't think it matters. Like, I don't really care what his views are or are not. The real problem I have with this whole thing is that the unilateral nature of it, where he just decided, I care about this, I'm going to do this, screw all you guys, you know, this is what is happening. And you're right, free speech is the government abridging your right to free speech. If you work for a company, 
or, or an organization, they can tell you, you can't say certain things. And if you don't like it, too bad. <laughs> I mean, they'll fire you, you know? Mm. And you're right. There is a lot of confusion over that. Sorry. I, I think there was, I think there was, there was, in the end, the explanation for the revert back to the original license uh, was twofold. And the first was, it, it was ultimately determined that this relicensing and, and the decision to ap- approve, like other maintainers' decisions to, to approve this change was a, was a rash decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not enough uh, thought had been put into its consequences. Um, but then also there were, I think, the, the general decision was that um, the PR by its very nature, had violated the code of conduct mm-hmm. of the project. Yep. Um, and so, so I think ultimately how they landed back in the original, th- their original territory uh, under the, the MIT license was sort of as a response to the project's own code of conduct as interpreted in the days after this whole brouhaha went down. Yeah. And the, the specific parts of that code of conduct that this very likely violated is being respectful of differing viewpoints and experiences, right? Um, right. Focusing what for what is best for the community, uh, which is arguable, right? I mean, from some point of view, you would say that it is doing exactly that. Mm-hmm. Showing empathy towards other community members and then other conduct, which could reasonably be considered inappropriate in a professional setting. I mean, and then there may so, be some other ones that this would fall into, but. So probably the, it sounds to me like the process worked and the right thing to have done would be to yeah. have submitted that pull request, which is seems like a perfectly reasonable thing to do, mm-hmm. and then gone through some careful process of thinking about do we want to merge this or not, right. taking into account everything you want to take into account. Yeah. And then that would have been fine. Yeah. But, but sort of unilaterally making that move not so good. And then, you know, he got booted out, which is the reasonable thing that would happen. And it's sort of like projects are various sizes and have various amounts of, you know, difficulty making that sort of, doing that sort of thing. Like you couldn't do that to the Linux core. They're, right. <laughs> you know, they're much, much, much more checks and balances and care about what goes into there because, you know, the contributor base is vast. Well, the and, contributor and base is vast, and they really don't want people, you know, sneaking in root access and and right. um, yeah. the implications. You, know, you try to do the implications so, are so really broad. If you, if something like that got changed, and I I may be incorrect. It may it may not be that this was uh, him unilaterally merging it. I'm kind of reading that into there, there uh, was, what there I'm was, seeing here. He certainly sought and received approval okay. uh, from from other, but maybe uh, not enough of a review process. But but I, I would have I, I personally, I think I would have liked to see both specifically in this case and also generally as a principle. Anytime you're you're making a philosophical change to a project, you're making a change that is representative in some way, even retroactively, of everyone contributing yep. to that project. And and I think that you you sort of owe it to the project to be very very slow and rigorous and and conservative about how and and if you're going to make those sorts of changes. And and I think 
you know, the kernel is a great sort of counterexample to this because there is so much process and so much rigor and and so much hierarchy sort of protecting the kernel both explicitly by policy and also implicitly by sort of project culture, you know, protecting the kernel from any sort of rash, quick changes, either philosophical or technological. And I, I tend to feel like that's a good thing. I also, you know, the other reason the kernels is a, a cool example is because a lot of our, the, um, the seeds of the open source movement and, and what we know is sort of like the principles and philosophies of open source software come from the kernel and, and its community and its, you know, sort of surrounding projects. Well, from Stallman, really. And, and like, so, so there are principles of open source that are defined and they include that open source software should not discriminate against any person or group. Right. And should not discriminate against any field of endeavor. Right. And and those those are core principles of open source software. And so, you know, it, it becomes a bit of a balancing act. You are know, those good principles? Right. I, I'd, we should ans- try to answer that. I tend to think that they are good principles because... I, when you are participating in open source software, by, by its nature, you have, you have declared this thing that you are building to transcend your own locus of control. Like, it's bigger than, than me. I'm, I, it's, not, it's no longer I am building a thing. It's we are building a thing. Even if in practice, right. even if in practice I am the only contributor and I'm you know, releasing a thing under MIT just because I'm a nice guy and I want people to be able to do what they want with it. Like, by declaring that something is open source and legally licensing it as such, I have made that thing bigger than me. Mm-hmm. And, and I have made it bigger than my own preferences and my own convictions. And I have, have put it out to the world and, and I've said, we are building this together and since it's the global we at that point i think you can you you can't make really any assumptions about the people or the groups or the fields of endeavor that might pick up your software and and that gets to be a real moral qualm uh, or, or a real dilemma if you have big qualms with how your software gets used and so which principle is you know is, is subservient to which yeah, I mean, he's basically saying, anyone that doesn't agree with me on this issue, you can't use our stuff. And that's what he's saying, right? He's kind of taking his ball and going home and saying, if you don't agree with me on this particular issue, I don't want to be working on anything that you benefit from leveraging. And I, I do sure. I do wonder um, if there are legal implications in just changing a license like this, you know? I mean, it's kind of, that kind of part of it is interesting to me as well, but we probably can't get into that. But I I also do think it's somewhat of like, while I I totally agree with Earl's uh, perspective in that people should be able to protest whatever they want, whenever they want. Like, I'm totally good with that. But you also have to look at this from the perspective that, I mean, this guy is kind of being narcissistic about it and, you know, saying that, you know, you have to agree with me if you want to use this and I'm not going to let 
anyone into my little tribalist group of people that use this technology unless you agree with me. And that's just, yeah. I don't know. That's just well, it's the same. It's, it, oh, sorry, he was ahead, changing the rules. Yeah. And that's one thing. But, mm-hmm. you know, if, if I start some open source thing and I have not, you know, the MIT license, but the, the Nulevant license, which, you know, lays out my ethical whatevers, is that right. okay? Or is that just, is just never, never okay to do that? I don't, I don't know that the question is whether it's okay, because if you're building a thing, you can license it however you want, right. and, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. The, the question is whether it's open source. And, and if it follows the principles of you know, free redistribution and open source code and allowing derivative works and non-discrimination and things like that, mm-hmm. then it's open source. But if you say, you know, you can only use my software if you hold such and such moral tenets, Mm. um, then it's, then it's not open source. And, and, and this is why it's like, do, do we believe more strongly in our own rightness or in the, the sort of noble principles of open source? I mean, you know, if, if I brought my ball to the playground to, to use Andrew's example, and somebody was like using my ball to murder someone, <laughs> I, I would feel morally compelled to take my ball away from that person and say, right. first of all, you shouldn't be murdering this person, and right. secondly, you sure as hell aren't going to do it with my ball. Right. But, but then they're but, just going to murder them with but their fists. Yeah. Okay, but, but like, <laughs> then where's the threshold? And where is the... You know, at what point is that a slippery slope to right. sort of just me being authoritarian about my beliefs in the context of a project that I have released and designated as bigger than myself? And that's that's the key thing from my point of view is that open source is open, right? It's open to everybody. That's the idea. And if it is open to everybody, there are going to be people and organizations in there that you don't agree with, right? I mean, that's just the nature of making something open like that. Um, and then trying to have it both ways where it's going to be open source, but only to people who agree with us. It sounds incredibly antithetical to the idea of open source and collaboration to begin with. I mean, at least to me. Well, I mean, you're, you're dealing in absolutes at that point, and that's generally like a foolish thing to do, uh, which I mean, so open, I'm of course down with open source. I mean, I'm a Linux user, you know, um, but I don't yeah, think so, it, should, so, it doesn't so have to be hard be, all one way or the other, you know, would it be right for like Linus one day to be like, you can't use Linux if you're from the U S government. Cause I don't like who's in the government right now. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, well, no, it, I mean, it, it would it would change the. I mean, like you said, it would change the. It wouldn't. It would no longer be open source, right? Um, right. But in the same sense, I mean, Andrew brought up earlier about how freedom of speech protects you from the government. It doesn't protect you at work. Yep. Uh, and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the time, the like libertarian argument against like, like, oh, if you don't like something at work, go get another job. Which, okay, fine. Some people can do that. A lot of people can't just go and get another job. That's not really how it works. Um, but the same thing is true with this learner thing. You don't like the new license, use something else. Uh, you well, know, so or, even, you, know, you know, fork the project at whatever point it be- right. yeah. becomes yeah. no longer yeah. open source. Yeah. And, yeah. and Yeah, that's the thing to do. That, that's the thing to do, is to fork it like, at, before they changed it. You know, Like LibreOffice, right? That Because OpenOffice got 
sucked up in the in the evil that is Oracle. <laughs> and uh, so that's why we're all using LibreOffice. Right. All oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And the same the same thing with um, Hudson and Jenkins. Well, and at a fundamental level, the idea is like if you have done some unit of work, do you then have the ability or the right to tell who can or cannot use that work? Uh, and I would I would argue it depends on the context in which that work was done. If the work was done in the context of a MIT open source license, no. <laughs> you can fork it and you can change the license and that's fine. The re- the work that you do from then on can be under this new license and then people can pick and choose whether they want to do it. But retroactively making that change, I think, is horrible because you're you're essentially lots of companies and people and individuals have all built a huge scaffolding of technology based on top of this thing that you did, right? And you can't just yank that out from under them. It's just it, it, it's just not right, you know. So, would there be and, ever a situation in which it would be right? Like, just as a thought experiment, like how convicted would you have to be, and how bad would the the thing on the other end have to be before before it might be right? Yeah, because I would I would argue that if there is ever a case, then it's fine. Some it's fine anytime. You know, like if you're if you're if you're willing to say that, like, yeah, if they were, you know, I don't know if they were literal Nazis or something using this, and I would be okay with them changing the MIT license to keep Nazis from using it. I mean, if anybody has been watching the news, well, um, right. I think a, a generally accepted opinion at this point is that every single person in ICE is a Nazi. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Exactly. And from I'm being, for, for clarity, I am right. being sarcastic. Yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a that's the that's a reasonable question, I think. Um, well, I, I kind of disagree with that, Earl. I mean, I think that we can't be black and white on this stuff. I think that there are shades of gray, and there can be things that can be tolerated and things that potentially could be not tolerated. But the my threshold for what would not be tolerated would be ridiculously high. Like, it would have to be some kind of a unanimous de- decision from... Every single, uh, you know, person that contributed to and, and maybe even, uh, organization or person that uses it. You know, I mean, it just, I don't think you can say that just because there is an edge case, that means that it has to be allowable for all cases, you know, cause then I, I could, uh, I could have a, a license for something and I, I contribute to it and I do all this stuff and I'm like, you know what? I don't like Earl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Earl, everybody else can use this, but Earl, you can't use that. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I mean, somebody's come on. done that with a with a new pigment. Are you kidding? <laughs> what is it? No, I forget what the. It's this super super black pigment, and oh, it's yeah. licensed to to the, the licenses. This, this particular artist isn't allowed to use it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember um, reading about that. That's funny. That's, that's hilarious, that, though. That oh, is that is funny, and. And that is the prerogative of whoever created this thing and is licensing it. Right. And if they want to take, take out their beef, then, you know, then great. You could take out your beef on whoever you want in whatever legal way you want, you know, but... If it's just you. If it's... But it... it but that's if it's just you, right? And and how much do we believe in sort of the noble purpose and and principles of of open source? 
Um, I think, I, I wonder in sort of watching these sorts of stories unfold, um, and this tendency is much bigger than just the bubble of, of web technology, um, but I think that there's this sort of uh, part of the fear that, um, that motivates how much emotion goes into these decisions is sort of the feeling that if something I built is used for a purpose that I vehemently oppose, right. that, I'm, that I might feel somehow complicit or, or culpable. How do, y'all feel, how do y'all feel about that idea? Like, how responsible are we if, for dis- guiding and or deciding how other people use the stuff we build? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like Oppenheimer, right? That's literally who I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah. Because he obviously he he worked uh, and was a a key person that was involved in the development of the atomic bomb, and then later on came to you know regret that that happened. But you know you can't stuff that genie back into the bottle, and I, I think it, a lot of it is kind of the same way with software to some extent or another. But what do you mean specifically, Michael? Like, let you do what I care if someone used something I open sourced in some kind of a project that I just completely disagree with? Is that what you mean? Yeah. And, and I mean, I would even go further because in this specific case, there's a lot of debate about the moral goodness or badness of, of the people using, uh, the, you know, the learner project or whatever, but like not just something you disagreed with, but, but something that you felt convicted about like that it was causing great harm like if some of my code ended up running skynet like that type of thing like if if (laughs) some of your code ended up running skynet or if like i don't know like some terrorist group was using seomatic to make their recruiting more effective you know so that they could go murder people like i mean this is obviously a, a extreme example but the, whatever it is like I don't think it's you that find extreme. your code no. you find your code being used for purposes that you feel are not only nefarious but like gravely immoral it, it would have to be the barrier would have to be like super duper high for me because you know I mean, let's say it was used by some terrorist organization or, or something like that I mean, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter, you know, depending on your perspective. Um, so it would have to be something incredibly black and white that I, I almost find it difficult to come up with a, a scenario like that. And it's also the kind of thing like when you create something, are you then responsible for how people then use it? You know, like right. Stanley. That is what I'm asking. Stanley, when they make a hammer, are they responsible and should be? Should they feel morally con- conflicted when someone takes a hammer, takes that hammer, and bashes someone head, someone's head in with it? You know, and I, I think that I think if you're you know? working for the hammer designers and they are <laughs> asking you design hammers that will be particularly good for bashing in heads, right? Then <laughs> you. You know, that is, a, that is a place where you want, might want to say, okay, I'm not willing to do that. Or I if you're agree. marketing hammers and they think that this is a, you know, reasonable way to market hammers, 
Great for headbashing. Then you might want to say no. Yeah, I think you're right. It depends on the the intent of the thing, right? Because you you know, just to to keep that analogy because it's very simple, pretty much anything can be a weapon. But at what point are you designing something that is designed to be good at doing that, right? Mm. Um so I, I agree with you from that point of view. Like that's how I would probably think of it. You know, am I writing something general purpose that yes, it can be used for good, yes, it can be used for uh for bad then it wouldn't really bother me if it was something that was very specifically enabling people to do what I considered to be horrible things, then uh, I, I, I wouldn't feel very happy about it. You know? And, and what if you know, it was go ahead, just Mary? something like, like you didn't feel great about somebody was using SEOmatic to, um, I don't know, market um, cigarettes to teenagers and they come to you and they say, "Hey, I'm having this problem. Can you help me with it?" You know, if they if they bought a license, then I would support it. Okay. Obviously, I don't agree with the fact that they're using it to do that, but I view my responsibility as a craftsman is that I made this thing. Uh, a client is having an issue that they, uh, you know, have a, a problem with it, and I'm answering their support issue. Now, okay. and there there are certain Sometimes. kinds of jobs though that I have turned down because I don't want to do mm-hmm. them, and they're not even on moral grounds. Or, I mean, I guess they're on moral grounds, but like if a marketing company m- wants me to help them implement something that I think will make the website terrible, I will just say, nah, you know, find someone else. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that gets mm-hmm. back to your case where I am doing it specifically for that purpose. You know what I mean? Like I know that I'm designing it specifically for that, whereas if I'm designing something... Uh, that is very general and could be used for any number of purposes. Like, there's no way that I could keep track of every possible purpose. You know. So, so for the for the sake of the thought experiment, and I don't want to push this too far, but because your your view seems to be relatively strong towards the belief that the things that I build do not have intrinsic ethics, and you know, I can hope that they'll be used well but I'm not responsible if they're not used well. And, and also I have a responsibility to, you know, if I agree to support a thing or if I agree, agree to do anything, my responsibility is to keep that agreement as though the thing on the end is, is ethically neutral. Here, let's push the thought experiment one step further. So you're about to release a piece of software. All right. And let's just say, since this is the circle that we run in, it's, it's a craft plugin. Well, a craft plugin can only be licensed at, at, you know, with MIT or with the craft license. Right. Uh, there, there is no option for a proprietary license if you want that thing to be you know, distributed right. on the platform, on the plugin store, and, and whatever else. So uh, That means I can't exclude Earl. And, right, and, and the, the craft license itself is fairly closely derivative of, of the MIT license mm-hmm. and it includes a provision that what you're doing has to be lawful but um, but doesn't really ascribe any moral goodness or badness in terms of, of restricting the things under these license. So you're about to, to release a, uh, a craft plugin and the only options that you have for releasing it are open sourcey. And I, the hypothetical villain, come to you and I say, I can't wait for you to release this thing. As soon as you release it, I am going to use it to do an evil thing. <laughs> and 
and you take me at my word that that this evil thing that I intend to do will be sufficiently evil that you will be really morally disappointed about it. Right. Uh, then what? So, so, so let me let me backpedal on something a, a little bit because um, you release the thing, knowing what I want to do with it. Are you responsible? How responsible are you? <laughs> All right. So let me backpedal on something a little bit, actually. So uh, as many people know, I ran a software company for a very long time. And one of the things that I always gave the the people who did support for me uh, the power to do was to fire customers, right? So if if a customer was being abusive towards them or, or whatever, I, I just I left it up to their discretion that they could fire a customer. I, I think that in, in thinking about it, if Philip Morris or some company came to me and they were going to use SEOmatic specifically to do SEO that would target the youth, I would probably fire them as a customer because the money means less to me than that, you know, kind of thing that I don't like that they're doing, right? Um, but to get to your, your question about, you know, oh, I can't wait until you release this. I'm going to use this for some horribly evil thing uh i mean it's difficult like it would have to be i would have to really understand understand the scale of that evil thing and then i would also think about all of the really good things that people would potentially be using it for right i mean do we live life in fear of the bad things that people are going to be using our our code for uh or do we also think about the good so is it more of a hammer or more of an assault rifle correct yeah i mean that you know that's that's a good that's a good answer to that um and it and it specifically avoids falling into you know the trap that is laid by this thought experiment right and what was the trap <laughs> well, well, to to have, to have to define how morally responsible you think you are right for bad things that you know someone is going to do with your the product of your craft and um, I think the wisdom in your answer is in in refusing to oversimplify your response to ignore all of the contexts other than the one that I'm asking you right. about. Right. Um, and and I think that decisions to either extreme, I think, frequently fall prey to exactly that fallacy, which right. is you know to. To answer a moral question based on one specific instance of uh, of it without considering the larger context, and and so I think that's there's a lot of wisdom in in that answer, which is you know just to say well, if I zoom out a few steps, does does this still seem as as egregiously bad? Uh, well, I just want to point out too that not releasing that software is not the only thing that you could choose to do. Like as the creator of something or someone who wields a certain amount of power in a community, um, you're allowed to use that platform to talk about what you think is right and about who is using your stuff incorrectly. You know, which is sort of what that person who with a maintainer from Lerna did. They did what was within their power, which was to use their platform to say, I'm not cool with putting kids in cages. So I'm well, going to do this. But it was one guy, though. Still, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. That's my point. Okay. His, 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 his power was that thing that he did. Uh, he can't go down and physically rescue kids from cages that 
that the, you know the the temporary jails that ICE was putting these kids in. Um, all that that person could do was the thing that they did, and they did it. So to say that you're you know, and I don't think this is the argument that you're making, but you are morally responsible to do what you think is right within the context of the power that you have. Um, and whether that's deciding not to release that software or deciding to release it, but then making a public statement against, hey, this person's going to use my software to do this terrible thing, whatever. Uh, you can't just skirt your responsibility right. 100% of the time because you are responsible in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but you're also not... You're also not 100% responsible. It made me think when that when you're talking about the person, the, the person uh, who denied the use of the artist, the pigment, or something like that. <laughs> um, well, it just got me. Th- it just got me thinking that how every you know everything that we have is built on everything that came before us. So the idea that once you make something, and this is sort of like the sort of open source thing, once you make something and put it out there, it's not yours. It's not yours anymore. You know, which, and it's like, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of conflict. I have a lot of conflict about all of these things that we're talking about. Right. Um, but I do, I guess that's the part that I love the most about the Lerna thing is that this one person did, they showed some conviction and there's so, that's so rare, I think, for people to actually say, to actually do what they think is right. More often than not, people know what they, they, they have, they've made a decision about what is right for them and they so rarely act on it. Which is, you know, whether that's the like you standing behind some jerk berating a barista or something like that for no reason, and just and wanting to say something and not. Oh, you know, I would something totally is, say well, of something. Course, lots of lots of people would, but lots of people wouldn't. And the fact that like, and more people need to act on their conviction. Yeah. I think, um, and I'm I'm regardless of what turned out with the Lerna thing, I'm glad that that person did it. I, I respect him for making a stand uh, and standing up for his convictions, but I would also say that. Um, that the way he acted was not in the context of just himself. So he acted somewhat unilaterally and somewhat immaturely, I think. I, I think the, the, the key that, that you said is everyone is responsible to do what they think is right with, like, within the power and the ability that they have. Yep. And, and so the, the line that we draw is what is the power and ability that, that I have and in what places have I abdicated my power and responsibility by virtue of, you know, belonging to some open source collaboration that is bigger than me? And, and then how do I solve the qualm when those things are in conflict? Yeah. I mean, I know for a fact that um, tons and tons of people are using my software that I, I don't necessarily agree with them on some stuff. Right. But I'm not going to go out and like ban them from using it. Right. It would, it would really depend on how, incredibly egregious that I thought that this stuff was, you know, because you got to understand, I mean, you live in a world where uh, lots of people have very, very different opinions on things. And there's, there are lots of things that I just don't agree with, but I'm just like, okay, I mean, it's your right to, to believe and think that way, you know? Right. But what you just described is what that person did. They, they, the, the learner person said, this is a, this is too egregious for me. Right. Uh, you know, and then they and then they acted on it. And the other thing too is, I want to draw there. There's a difference between disagreeing about you disagree about like your favorite football teams, right, and things like that. When you're talking about, it's not. I don't know what the best way to put it is, but when you're talking about a group of people, uh, y- y- you know, I mean, not to say that all like ICE agents do terrible things, but the reports that were coming out of some of those 
camps about the treatment of the kids that were in the, and I hate to be one of those people that's like, think of the children. Um, but in this specific example, uh, I don't think that's really, that's not the same as disagreeing about sports teams or something. Right. You know? No, I agree. I mean, there, there obviously are different levels of this, right? Yeah. On a lot of these issues, when a, a particular group is demonized for whatever, I think that Hanlon's razor is probably right. Like it's, it's, or a kind of synopsis of that in that it's most Hanlon's of razor. Well, it, it's like never ascribe to malice. What can be better uh, ascribed to incompetence? Right. Uh, and I, and okay. I don't mean exactly that. I mean, more like the average person who is in a particular group or whatever, like they're just there. They're just, they're, that's their job. Right. Um, and they probably don't have these horrible bad intentions that, uh, uh, that they might be ascribed, you know, yeah, well, I, I don't uh, think some that, do, that, you know, I don't think that, um, all of that just following orders business has a, yes, I was thinking that as I was saying it, right. it's people I, not acting on their yeah, convictions. Yeah, that's really absolutely true. I don't think that, that I don't feel like any of the debate around learners licensing, really targeted any individual right behavior uh in in any sort of um sort of uncivil way i i felt like it was targeting the behavior and capability of the organization acting as an organization uh and so at least that that much i you know felt was legit Mm -hmm. it would have been you know one thing if you went individually vilifying ICE agents in the the PR, but but doing it corporately is somewhat necessary if you're you're you know trying to make a a moral argument about common good. Well, um, I also don't put much stock in civility when it comes to certain things like this. I mean, there's there's time and places for civility. Like again, if we're talking about something trivial, uh, that doesn't matter. But if you're talking about being civil to people that. Uh, you know, like there's a lot, whenever you see any of these politicians get accosted in um, uh, restaurants and things like that, the first thing people are saying like, oh, what is, we live in a society that's like just not civil. It's like, man, that dude just voted to take away your health care and the health care of 30 million other people. I don't give a, oh, I can't swear. I don't care if they're comfortable <laughs> at a restaurant or not. You know what I mean? I want them to be uncomfortable. That's the way that you hold them accountable. They, there are consequences to the things that you do. And I, and like, so anyway, that civility argument, I understand where it comes because we want to live in a society and like, we want things to be, pro- but I also don't care about it. But now you're focused on the dog and pony show, Earl. You're, you're over on the dog and no, pony show. That's side not, that's, that's not when, when you, so recent locally, there was this, this, there's, uh, you know, this is going to be esoteric because it's a local, it's a local issue, but there is this, uh, person who owns this apartment building that's just riddled with code violations and they just can't seem to get anything done so these people went to his house right they went to his house they stood outside of his house his neighbors came out whatever and they got it done and there's people that would be like well that's not really the process i think that's that's, awesome that's not really i think like civil or whatever but i I, think that's awesome and i don't know that that i don't think that that's i don't necessarily think that that's dog and pony i think that's direct action no no no. Um, i I meant when you were when you were talking about you know the the politician yeah. Um, but they are the ones that make the decisions. They're the ones that sign on the dotted line when these things. So they are, they, whether, the, yes, they are part of the dog and pony show, but they are also the people with their hands on the lever. Right. Uh, so I'm, again, I'm fine 
with the costing and and people would then argue that you know i i actually agree with you that it's fine to hold people responsible for the things that they do but some people would say okay well the right way to do that is to then vote them out of office you know but i but i think that you need to people need to let the people that represent them know what they care about and what they don't care about and i think that by someone doing that you're you're doing it but I want to get back to the the Lerna thing real quick. I mean, something I think Michael mentioned, like if you read the initial uh, PR, it's it's super emotional, right? This is not, it's clearly not a reasoned decision. Yep. It's super emotional. He talks, about his, he talks about his emotions in it, uh, you know, mm-hmm. right and left in here. And he also talks about my this and my that, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's really where I start to have an issue with this is first of all, I don't think it was a, a, a level headed decision. I, I think it was an emotional one. And that's usually, that's usually a problem, right? I mean, whether it's in business or in personal, your personal life, when you do things, when you're in a super emotional state, you often end up regretting them, right? Um, and then the other big problem I have with it is that again, he talks about, you know, my this and my that dude, you open source this. You know, you have tons of people that work on it with you and then contributed to it. I don't know. I mean, that that's where I start to have a problem with this. And, and that's why this guy is no longer part of the organization. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I think, um, so, so I actually, I want to kind of chase down this, uh, this theme of emotional decisions. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I think, you know, emotions are a good precipitator of moral action. Mm-hmm. Like the, the conscience is for a reason. Yep. But I think where this all leads is, you know, if we're going to talk about on an individual scale, we should do what we think is appropriate given the power and platform that we have. Mm-hmm. Fine. No, I think nobody disputes that. Yeah, for sure. Um, in the context of things that which we build, which we in one way or another release to be outside of our complete control, if they are not going to be governed by my own individual morality, how should they be governed? And how can they be governed in a way that sort of balances... Um, all of the different areas of, of concern. I mean, when you when you talk about you know ethical decision making, um, especially in technology, you know there's there's so many different dimensions in which we're trying to balance a definition of what's right and wrong. Right. Uh, you know, like you said, one one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter, mm-hmm. um, and and that sounds like an extreme position, but but the only thing that differentiates the terrorist from the freedom fighter, believe. Oh God! Oh no, we lost Rog. <laughs> That's all right. Oh, he's back. You know, Rog, we lost. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Really back, back up, Michael. Back up, life. Uh, Michael. And, Michael. Uh, Michael. Uh, Michael. You know, human maybe, health. Maybe you can't hear. And us. Michael issues about, um, oh, dear God. you know, immigration. Uh, get uh, countered with issues about sovereignty and and security. And so there's always like, as there should be, there's always this tension. Um, between different sides of um, of a moral cause, and so once a thing is out there, how how should it like who should get to decide ultimately 
how these things get regulated, like what's right and wrong. Where do we put that power if it's not individual to me? So, Michael, I'm not sure if you can hear us or not. <laughs> can you hear us? And nope. he can't. He can't hear us. Oh, no. Awesome. Now what? All right. Well, we're, we're going to continue on. All right. Go ahead. All right. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to try to try, you know, it's, it's a tough question to answer because my, my first, you know, my, my first instinct obviously is, is uh, democratically, you know, but at what point, how do you decide who gets to decide on it? Because in something like this, you know, it would seem obvious on its face that the contributors and the maintainers of Lerna would make the decision about, you know, what this, if they're going to update this, the license or not. But they're not the only ones that are affected by this. The users are affected. And then the people who, at the other end of it too, like, for example, the people that are affected by ICE operating efficiently um, are also affected by it. So if we were really to try and get everyone who is a, could potentially be affected by this, I mean, we might be talking about everyone. So I honestly don't know... I don't. I don't know what this like the decision making process for something like this is. But I also too just want to go back really briefly while we're trying to get um, Rog back on. I'm oh, back. Oh, okay, cool. He can hear us. All right, sweet. Um, but just in terms of, I just have a little beef just tangentially about the idea of emotionless decision making. Uh, it's another thing that I think is is objectively impossible. As not just you know Michael r- r- rightly said that it can be the impetus to lead us to starting to think about making some kind of decision, but also, you know, your reason is informed by every experience that you've had, which includes emotional experience and logical experience. So I just don't think you can really separate, you know. And and then if something is, if something is hurting people, then the Mm -hmm. people who are the ones who are being hurt are the ones who are going to be most emotional about it. And the people who are you know, well, them's the breaks, sorry, it's affecting you that way, mm-hmm. are going to be a little less emotional about it. Right. Yeah. Most likely. That's yeah. levels of empathy, basically. Well, I, I, didn't, I, I did not mean to say that the decision should be made without emotion, because, mm-hmm. of course, I mean, that's part of what makes us human. What I meant, uh, I should have said, in the heat of the moment or under extreme emotional duress, because e- even the law recognizes this, right? Like, there are certain actions that you can take and if it's determined that you're under extreme emotional duress that you'll that will be taken into account you know in terms I mean, of like if there's a, a a crime of passion or a heat of the, heat of the moment type thing mm-hmm. and the reason that's taken into account is that when people are in that kind of altered mental state they their judgment is impaired right right so i'm not saying keep emotion out of your decision-making process. Hmm. I'm saying that this guy, at least what I'm reading from his initial PR that's in here, Hmm. he was in a very heightened emotional state when he did this. And I think he probably wasn't thinking clearly. I I didn't mean to imply that emotion should be kept out of the decision-making process, because I totally think it should. Um, But, I mean, I think he was... uh, Hysterical is probably too strong of a word, but in a heightened emotional state when he did all of this. Yeah. And I, it, had he cooled off, he might have still proceeded with something like this, but taken a, a more kind of uh, rational approach to it, while still factoring in 
that he was uh, emotionally outraged. It, it's it's possible. Uh, it's also possible that this person's just a passionate writer. I mean, people do that too. I, I don't. It doesn't necessarily just because it reads like, or just because you interpret it as him banging it out at a keyboard sure. at 3 a.m. while he's mad. Right. Um, and also, I wasn't necessarily critiquing you specifically right. about the emotionless thing, but there is a pretty common fetidization, especially in, I think, the tech community about this, like, cold, rational, objective yeah, uh, decision, like like the Dr. Houses and, and things like that. That doesn't exist. It don't, we're, we're, we're right, right, right. <laughs> and also, but all, not only does it not exist, but people seem to think that there's some merit to it. And I don't agree with that. I mean, I don't. I don't agree that you should be making. You know, you should be making decisions when your head is hot. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't think that there's. I, I don't want people making decisions when they're a sociopath, basically. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. You're like, right. That's not. That's you're not right. Good if you for, remove, if you yeah. remove all emotion, and you remove all moral and ethical considerations from something. You're essentially talking about a sociopath. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah. but, but, but <laughs> well, you if you're having a, an argument, a disagreement, people are having a disagreement. And if you discount the people who are bringing their emotions to the disagreement, right. That's, um, you know, yeah. problematic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it no, certainly is true that if you want your pull requests to be taken more, to have more weight, then from a practical point of view, it's probably better to uh, try and phrase them somewhere, you know, strongly, but not uh, not have them come across as overwrought. And I haven't read his, so I don't know yeah. how I would take it. Yeah. Um, but, Rog, I feel like I told I meant that to be tangential, and then we ended up going on a, well, much more of a tangent than I meant to. Uh, you had asked about the decision-making process. Yeah, no, I think, it's a, I think it's a good tangent. Where it's leading me to is, I think, we as technologists, I mean, a lot of times the, the caricature of a developer is basically, you know, a sociopath sitting in a dark room banging out code all day and all day. Right. But, uh, and, and we know that caricature to be very false. But I think it's a fair criticism of ourselves to say that we are well-trained in the technical arts. Mm-hmm. But as an industry... I don't know that we're well-trained in the liberal arts. I, I don't know that a lot of developers have the educational background or even like, any sort of rigorous spirit, experience that, that gives us a framework to answer moral questions very effectively. And that's sort of a, a thing that I'm wrestling with is I feel like I should... <laughs> I feel like it is incumbent on me to have moral considerations about the technology that I'm building and touching yeah. because technology is, is just getting more and more integral to really, really core aspects of human life. And so I feel like as a creator of technology, it's incumbent upon me to have moral opinions about these things from which to motivate moral actions about these things. And in some places, that's easier than others, right? I'm not well-trained in morality. And so decisions that I'm making are basically decisions based on my emotions, my conscience, my life experience, which I'm not going to say are wrong, but I have a very difficult time asserting that they're universally 
ethically right. Yeah, I mean, where do I go? Like, how do I, as as a technical person, go train myself to have a better, more rigorous, more objective, less emotional framework for answering questions like this? So there's there's an old expression that. Um, you know, using your morality to guide your behavior is fine. Using your morality to force other people <laughs> into uh, uh, their behavior is is not okay, right? But I, I actually have a really relevant uh, to this discussion point to bring up. So you were talking about, okay, you know, what if some group is using SEOmatic, right? So I know for a fact that the Dalai Lama uses SEOmatic on his website. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I know this for a hard and certain fact. Mm -hmm. right? Does anybody here, would anybody here have a problem with the Dalai Lama using software that they wrote for his promotional website? No. No. Michael? Do I have a problem with the Dalai Lama running craft? Is that what you're asking? No, no, no. Let's say <laughs> a, that, a plugin let, that you wrote. Yeah, let's say a plugin that you wrote. Let's say the Dalai Lama is using Wordsmith. Like, would you have a problem with that? Uh, it's not unlikely that the Dalai Lama is using Wordsmith. And, okay. And I, I don't have a problem with okay. that. Okay. But, but here's the thing there are some people on the planet that would have a very big problem with that. Very big problem. Very big problem. You know, if you're, you're a Chinese uh, loyalist, you would have a huge problem with that, right? And that, that's kind of what I was mentioning. I wasn't trying to, uh, to cop out about it when I said, you know, one man's freedom fighter is another man's hero. But I don't have any problem with the Dalai Lama using SEOmatic. I think it's awesome. I tweeted about it. You know, I'm shameless about self-promoting stuff. Um, and I thought it was awesome. I thought it was really cool. Now, I'm not Buddhist, Right. Right. Um, I don't necessarily agree with everything that Dalai Lama does or says, but hey, great. You know, he's using my stuff. I think that's really cool. Right. But there are definitely people on the planet that would have a huge problem with that. Right. And what if I was one of those people? Would it, would I be reasonably reasonable if I wrote into my license? Like the Dalai Lama cannot use this. You know what I mean? And that's kind of the angle that I'm coming at this whole discussion from that I, I think that it's, I don't know. I, I, I don't think that the, I don't think it's clear um, that this guy should be imposing his will in the manner that he did for his, whatever he feels is his personal cause. Earl thinks he has the obligation to, uh, and that's fine too, but it, you know, everything is relative. You know, I, I don't really, I don't have a problem with the Dalai Lama using this stuff. Other people would have a serious problem with it. And maybe Earl would, or Earl would then say, and Earl, you're here, so you can say yep. it. Maybe they would then have a moral obligation to then tell the Dalai Lama, hey, you can't use this stuff, right? Is that what you would? Let's say that I, I was a, a diehard Chinese nationalist and I wrote SEOmatic and I saw that the Dalai, Dalai Lama was using it. Would you recommend that I do what this guy did and write into the license the Dalai Lama cannot use this? I mean, yeah, yeah, it'd be hypocritical of me to say otherwise. I mean, if you strongly, okay. if your convictions point you in that direction, um, you, you know, especially with things like these, when it, or things like this, where it's matters of like intellectual property, right? Uh, you know, like I don't know how much of a material difference to the world it would make whether or not the Dalai Lama uses SEOmatic or not, right? Um, but yeah, if, maybe you just morally don't like the idea. Well, right, but I'm but I'm saying there is a difference between you know, like philosophical and strictly intellectual things that ha happen in this, you know, in, in the realm of philosophy. Whereas if 
that person limiting, if that pull request had stuck and it caused ice issues, um, because of they became less efficient or they couldn't track people in a certain way or whatever, that would have a material gain for, okay. You know, some people, if I'm a, a Chinese national nationalist and maybe my piece of software could have a material effect on what the Dalai Lama does. And I don't agree with him. Then I guess by your, your logic, I should, I should do that. I mean, my, my big problem with all this stuff is that I think the, the great promise of the internet was that, oh, this is great. You know, all the world is going to be able to get together and everyone's going to understand each other and all that kind of stuff. But really what has happened is the opposite. Like people are, have found ways to seek out people they agree with, right? And people have become, uh, by and large, more and more isolated and very tribalistic in terms of their views. And by saying who can and can't use my software, I feel like I'm becoming like very digital tribalist, you know? I mean, I don't know. I have a problem with that. No, I mean, that's, wow. you know, historically we're a tr- or a tribal species. So I don't know that's, that you're, you know. Oh, man. <laughs> that's such a deep point, though, <laughs> yeah. Andrew, yep. about like sort of the, the wide-eyed optimism that the open source movement you know, was, was birthed into, yep. um, mm-hmm. versus the reality of, of the situation. Mm-hmm. Well, cause it's, I mean, not, just to interrupt real quickly, it's not one or the other. It is like, like you said, it's bringing people together that they agree with, but think about just, you know, s- communities that couldn't have existed before right. without the internet. That's uh, true. And they're not all, the vast majority of them like are that. not like hate groups. Yeah. Right. Or us. Yeah. Or us just talking right, right now. Marion's literally on the other side of the world, uh, you know. Um, nah, she's on vacation. Still, though. I'm just. Uh, but I'm. But I'm saying. So <laughs> it, it is. You can. It's not. And like most of what we're talking about that we've talked about today, it's not one or the other. Uh, I think that it's. It's. It's still worth being optimistic about. Um, but that doesn't like exclude you from taking steps when you feel something is wrong. Right. I guess. You know? And and I'm sure I have a line somewhere, right? Like I'm sure there is something <laughs> that would be bothersome to me. But in general, I have a problem with attempting to impose... Marketing cigarettes to teenagers with children listening. Right. But I I have a problem with attempting to impose my views on anyone who's going to use my, my stuff, right? Because... It's just, it's a really, uh, it's a really difficult problem because you're going to make something and you don't have control over what people are going to be using it for. And there'll be people that disagree with you that are going to use it for something that you disagree with. And I think that in some sense, you have to have the maturity to, to let that go and allow that to happen. That said, there still is a line where you might say, okay, this is too much. You cannot do this. Um, and if it's you as an individual making that decision, I don't have a problem with it. I think my biggest problem with what this guy did, again, is that he sort of did it very unilaterally. And I, and, it, and to me, to me, the way he did it felt immature too. It really and, did. And, and with that, authority that was only questionably his. Right. Right. Yeah. And and that wasn't the point of the project in the first place right that it it wasn't intended to be an exclusionary project so i'm thinking of a of a different thing than the dalai lama i'm thinking that there are people who are you know building say for instance um systems to help support people get out the vote Mm -hmm. or you know and and they're 
very explicitly have a political leaning behind them, right? Not the system per se, you know, the system that helps people carpool to other, you know, places so that they can campaign. But I'd rather get out the vote for my own guy or girl. No, no, no. Oh, your own, like, not, not necessarily your own candidate, but the, the one you support. Right. Right. That's not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Building a get out the vote tool. I hope that I get out a lot of votes from my candidate and not the other candidate. Well, or your class of candidate, right? Sure. You want to, you want to, you know, we have to come up with two maybe different colors and red and blue. I would, so. I would like to get out the votes that further my political hopes, whatever. They yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, and you and the people who have been working with you on building this get out the vote tool, they're, they're all in the same, you know, um, polka dot party or leanings and not in the strike leanings. And there ought to be a way, probably, to license that. And so probably it's not an open source sort of thing in that in that point to say this is a this is a tool that we have built and we want to be have used by people who we're substantially in agreement with. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think that's I mean, to me, that's a case of something that even if I strongly disagreed with whoever was using the tool, I, I don't think that's where I would make my stand. Like, I just, I think that that is almost being somewhat petty about it. You know, we're not talking about people's lives necessarily being in danger, et cetera, et cetera. Wait, 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 wait. So, yeah. so if, if you build this tool, you put a lot of your blood, sweat, and tears into building this tool yep. for, explicitly for a particular you know, political viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they're not, that it's perfectly okay for people to pick up that tool and run with it and uh, forward in uh, benefiting, you know, for the, for some other political viewpoint? If that's what the license says they can do. Yeah. I mean, and, and I would not restrict the licensing on that type of thing either. You know, I wouldn't so say you, you have would, to be, you have to be X, would, Y, or Z to use this thing. You know, you would build that thing with a, with a, um, with an open source license. A, an unrestricted open source. Well, license. honestly, like I probably wouldn't build it to begin with because right. I, I just can't stand politics in general. Uh-huh. But if I did, if I did build it, yeah, it would be an open source license. And you know, the the views of uh, the views views of the average person changes over time, um, and the overall views of society change over time. I'm not going to make a decision that you must agree with me if you're going to use this tool. I think that that's uh, bordering on. I think it's a little bit petty, and I think it's bordering on being narcissistic about it. Uh, I mean, the example that Marion gives is a little bit because you're Marion. Your example, you're talking about someone who who set out to build this thing, right? Like, if they're, I feel like that's a little bit different than like the software that's a little more general purpose. Because when you're building a tool like that, a political tool, um, it's a very specific use case, and so unless the developers were completely naive. They would have to know that if they open source that, right. it would likely be used by anyone to to get the vote out. But it's within their it's within their purview to write a license that would prevent, like like you said, uh, you know, we're the polka dot party. 
if you're in the stripes party, you can't use this. Like they could license it that way if they wanted to. If they wanted to, right? right exactly. Yeah. But that's and but that's a difference between yeah not between license it at all. Right or right yeah yeah or just keep it closed like, source. Right yeah, build your own website and then yeah. just run yeah. the site. Right yeah. yeah. So I don't know if that's you know. Well, that that begs the question. If I if I may, Michael, like, are there any? Can you think of uh, people who might come to you to build a website that you'd say no? You don't have to name who they are, but like, can you oh, yeah. think of a, you oh, know, sure. individuals or groups that you just be like, nah, not going to do that, bro? There have been many, right? And I've done the I've done the same. So, but what about if it, it came out like I'm going to reverse the question you gave me? Let let what is your threshold for someone who is using your wordsmith plugin? What is your threshold for denying them support or you know uh, firing them as a as a client? Right. Uh, well, my threshold for denying them support is Wordsmith is free and okay. Okay, <laughs> I knew you're going to get pedantic. Come on, about man! <laughs> no, for a paid plugin that you yeah. provide support for in in exchange for money. Yeah, I get it. Um, man, this is an argument against having paid plugins. Right <laughs> I mean. I don't. I don't have paid plugins, and that's one of the reasons why. Right. Is that yeah. I think I would be. You don't. I mean, to some extent, like who I wanted to support. Yeah. If you're building a website, you are. You can very easily pick and choose your client, right? Because there are these big chunks of things that you work on. I if, think if you build I a plugin, not only can you, but really, it, that's a moral obligation. Is that yeah. you ought to sure be picky if and you, not and you know yeah. If you have a cause that you care about, then sure, you can skew that way. If you have something you super disagree with, sure, you can refuse that work. But the point that I was trying to lead to is that a plugin is more like a, uh, a mass market store where, Mm -hmm. you know, you, if you walk into Walmart, like Walmart doesn't care what your political affiliations are. They don't care about any of that kind of stuff. You're just going there to buy this like productized thing. Right, it's like who and, are you willing to bake cakes for, and it had better be everybody. Right, and and, and then the yeah, other the other I'm part not of, of the opinion that you have to bake cakes for everybody. In fact, I think that's a really dangerous uh, expectation. Right, is that that commerce has to be compelled uh, by fiat? Right. The same way that you might re- people's individuals convictions. The same way that you might refuse to build a website for somebody, maybe right. somebody else who builds cakes might review refuse to build a, a, a cake for somebody or whatever. But I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that you know Walmart isn't going to be they're not going to vet you for your political social views before they'll let you in the store to buy something. And then also, if you're buying something and you use it for not its intended purpose to then bash someone's skull in, I don't think they're responsible either. You know? Yeah. I, to answer your specific question, I think my line morally, I don't know that I would ever get to my line morally because I am protected in that the license requires you to use my software for purposes that are not illegal. Right. And well, ice is legal. Rare case. Ice is legal. It yeah. It, it's a very rare case that I personally would be convicted enough about something that is legal. Right. That like that I would take enough moral issue with it. Right. That I would try to subvert your rights 
as a purchaser of my open source software. Oh, man. Um, I'm so much looser with my stuff. Than I, I, guess. I may, <laughs> I may, and and there have been a few times for various reasons where I have said, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not able to provide the support that you're asking for. Here's a refund. Right. Go on your happy way. Right. And sometimes those have been because a client was disrespectful to me. Right. Sometimes they've been because I just felt an icky gut feeling about something that was going down. Right. Um, or I suspected that there was something illegal or nefarious going on. And even if I don't have grounds to make an assertion of that, or if I don't feel like it's my moral prerogative to sort of impose ethics on you, I can still say, you know, I'm going to peace out. <laughs> right. Um, and, and I can still sort of go through other channels if I feel a need to be ethically active in that situation, um, you know, besides raising some legal issue about the license of my software. So like specifically, I don't know that I'd ever get so far as to try to like revoke someone's license to a thing that, you know, a plugin that they Mm -hmm. bought. Um, I think I would probably just excuse myself from, interacting with that client and try to go through some other other channel. But, so you'd give them their money back and yeah. say, I'm, I'm not going to help you with your problems here. Right. But right. that's different from saying, and you can't use it. Right. Yeah. And, and I agree with Andrew. Like, I do have a professional responsibility to support a purchaser of my plugin if I have said that I will. Right. Um, and But sometimes... You know, I think it's it's okay for me to relieve myself of that professional obligation. You know, by sort of reverting the the money changing hands that you know would motivate me having a, a commercial responsibility to someone. I I I think there's one thing though that I want to sort of spin this whole conversation um, so that we can start to wrap it up which is that we've been talking a lot about the negative case mm. and you know what our responsibility is to prevent our uh, stuff, our tech that we build from being used in ways that we don't agree with. How do y'all feel about a responsibility specifically to support and encourage and facilitate our technologies being used for stuff that we do think serves the common good and serves, you know, ethical considerations. So I'm going to go first because it's going to be really quick and it's going to be totally different from Earl. <laughs> I am incredibly anti-activist, right? And not, not to say that I don't have views or whatever, but I don't feel that uh, my business or my professional work is the way to further them. So no, I, I just don't go down that route in terms of uh, going out of my way to promote political in in either sense of the term um, or ethical or moral causes uh, that I happen to personally agree with because I am very cognizant that there are many perfectly good people that may disagree with me and may have other views on certain things. And I don't think it's my place to impose my view of the world on them via the lens of the professional work that I do. So my answer is 
Not at all. Totally different from Earl. Go ahead, Earl. Yes. I <laughs> uh, put politics and civic life uh, above business concerns. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, any, any means necessary to do what you think is, what you think is right. Um, including just to speak quickly to what you guys were talking about as far as supporting stuff. Um, I would go even further than ROG, which would be, you know, instead of just dismissing them and offering them a refund, I would actively sabotage them. So I I think that, uh, I think that there is maybe a small, uh, percentage of like my anarcho punker friends who are listening to this that might be thinking <laughs> that's what I would do too. So you're not, you're not alone. You do whatever you think is right. <laughs> huh. <laughs> I think I think that you know platitude platitude, but in general we all have sort of a moral responsibility to try and and uh, you know make the world a better place or at the very least not a worse place. Right. And that one of the ways that, you know, us tech people tend to have more leverage in doing that is by doing the tech stuff. But on the other hand, it can be really important to have some balance in your life and to, you know, have spaces in your life where you are doing something other than the tech stuff. And yeah, obviously that's not going to be in your, so much in your profession, so maybe in your well, explicitly doing things for trying to make the world a better place, no, explicitly no, civic engagement things. Maybe you want to be doing them, you know, maybe you just can't be spending your spare energy building websites for good causes because mm-hmm. you are just done with building websites. Okay, right. so I, I guess I, my what I mentioned might be mischaracterized. I, I don't have any problem with if I or someone else wanted to volunteer my time to do work for a cause that I believed in. I think that's great. But what I mean is, like, I would never in a million years on my corporate website endorse, like, a political candidate, right? Because I just don't think there's the place for that. If you if you want to use, I think there was a speaker at Dot All who talked about using your superpowers for good. If you want to use your technical abilities to further whatever cause you find valuable, absolutely. Like, I think that's great. But I, I feel very strongly about not getting a corporate involved in the dog and pony show part of uh, politics and, you know, making it even on Twitter, like a corporate, I think a corporate Twitter account, I don't think should be involved in any of that. If a, if a person on their personal Twitter wants to go for it. So do you have two Twitters then? I do. You do. Okay. So that's the way to handle it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I struggle with this because like, I think one of the real curses of entrepreneurship is that it becomes very difficult to tease apart the person and the professional. And I don't know, just the way my life experience has tilted, I frequently feel that how I behave as a professional is how I express my morality as a person, you know? And so it's not easy for me to say, like Earl did, it's not easy for me to say my personal morals are more important than my professional morals because they're the same for me. And so I don't, you know, I don't know exactly how to navigate that except to say that, that I don't see them as separate. And so in as much as I feel morally compelled to do, to be active in some way, I will probably be active in that way 
both as a professional and in other contexts. And I will probably be more subtle and, you know, differently expressed with my professional colleagues than with other peers. But like, it's probably going to come out in both professional and non-professional contexts because it's just me. Right. Um, well, there's the, the, I guess the part of it that I have a big problem is the politicalization of things, right? So if I go to Starbucks and there's a, you know, a huge sign endorsing a particular candidate that I find detestable, um, you know, that's going to bother me and that's going to color my thinking of Starbucks, right? And it should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but and that's why it's a free market. And and that's why it's a free market, but what I'm saying is that's why I think it's a poor decision to do that. Like why would you as a business intentionally alienate a huge number or a, a large percentage of your potential customers? There's just no there's no need for that well, in, in a business. I mean, go ahead. Pensy Spices is doing actually fairly well. Uh, I don't know what that is. Uh, Pansy spices. Turmoil. There's spice company. Absolutely, they. they I love you know, Pansy spices. <laughs> what did they, they do? You are. What did they do? They they um have made strong political statements. Right. I'm just saying that I I personally, when I see businesses doing that, it annoys me. Even if the person that they are touting is someone that I agree with, like it's just one of those things that. I just don't think that that's where I want to have that discussion, right? I mean, uh, we're assaulted by this stuff nearly nonstop. I don't want to deal with it when I'm going in to get a Starbucks. You know, I don't want everything to be politicized. I think it gets really tiresome. And I think it causes fatigue and it annoys people and it causes people to tune you out. I think that to some extent, it may have the opposite effect that you're intending. Yeah. And I've, I've heard that argument before and that's, a super privileged stance to take um, because those things that are annoying you while you're trying to get coffee are affecting people in real ways. Like when they support someone who what like I'm, I used the, the, you know, the example before about taking healthcare aware, uh, taking healthcare away from people or something like that. Um, while it's an annoyance to you to have to hear about those things, people are affected in very material ways by those things that Ooh, they're, that like, they're like the evil, evil that is Nestle. Well, yeah, I mean, there's lots of, I mean, there's, you know, there's lots and lots of examples, but the, I don't care if it, igno- if it annoys you or not, yeah. uh, because it's, I think it's much more really serious bad. than that for other people. I think people are really bad at quantifying the consequences of things upon people other than themselves. That's and true. as such, I think we are generally bad at ascribing urgency to things that are very morally important, or I should say ethically important, but that don't directly harm or inconvenience us. Right? Yeah. I, um, I guess the real problem that I have with it, Earl, is that what what you think is right is not necessarily what other people think is right. And while it may be, you know, super important to you and you think that this is, you know, a, an absolute priority. Um, there are lots of people that don't agree with that. I mean, just in the same way, you know, one, what, one man's what, terrorist is another that's man's what Rog freedom is saying. Fighter. It's because yeah. it doesn't affect you personally. Like, just because it doesn't, af- like, just because ICE doesn't affect you personally, you're allowed to, you have the privilege of not having an op- a strong opinion about it. But other people aren't in that position. Or they, or they are, but they choose to involve themselves 
beyond that. Right. So, and, and what I'm trying to say is that there may be, you know, uh, people who believe something very, very antithetical to what you believe, or, or, and they may have views that you find detestable. And if you saw those plastered on a store, that would have a very, you would have a very negative opinion on that. And as a business, why would you want to ostracize uh, a certain percentage of your customers? You well, know? We, we did talk. And the reason before. is because it's yes, the right thing to do. Well, right. That's what we talked a little bit about that before. The and show where is your line? With, well, with the if, B, with if B, you with think B Corp, it's the right thing to with do with B Corp yeah. stuff, is they're they're saying our business isn't strictly about building the biggest customer base. It's about being a business and also promoting our political agenda, right? I guess, or or not necessarily even the political agenda in the B Corp sense. It's you know things like environmentalism and um, trans business transparency and things like that. So the reason that people do that is because the baseline that they're shooting for isn't the same as like, again, and that's, and that's what I meant by my personal stuff takes precedence over personal. It's not to say that there's two separate me's like there's professional Earl who wears a tie. You obviously know it's not true. (laughs) No, that's Um, I can verify that is not true. Uh, It's it's to say that (laughs) business isn't important to me. Yeah. Uh, It's what I do to make sure I can do the other stuff. Sure. Um, Absolutely. You, you, uh, you don't live to work, you work to live. Yeah. I totally get that. And I, I agree with that. But, you know, so for instance, I also have equally the same problem of businesses that try to inject their religion into what they do, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't think that that's the place for it. Do you think it's the, the place for something like that? If, if people have a super strong belief in a particular religion, do you think that it's their place to do that, injecting that into their business? I, I view the political and religious things as both things that just should not be injected into a business. For the same reason. Yeah, that's a reasonable question. I think they're fine to inject into businesses, and then it's incumbent on us to to notice and vote with our feet. Oh, I want to hear what Earl yeah. what what Earl's well, opinion on that because I see no difference between a business trying to promote their political agenda and a business trying to promote their religious agenda. I, I both see I see both of those things as being very out of place for them to be doing. And they may have very, very strong opinions and beliefs about both of those things. Right. Well, I'm not a spiritual person. Um, you know, I'm, well, I mean, I'm an atheist. It doesn't, doesn't matter. I'll just say it. Who cares? Um, but, uh, religion is also politics, uh, depending on your point of view, I suppose. Like I don't, there's no empirical evidence for a God. So, I have no reason to think that it is. So to me, it's another aspect of politics. So that's fine. But there are lots of people that would disagree with you, right? Right. And And what if there was a business that you frequented it and and you loved it? Mm -hmm. And then you walk in there one day and it's plastered with all sorts of religious messages. And when you walk in there, they tell you, well, you know, to, to honor our particular deity, you have to kneel here and you have to put this on before you go in the store. Like, how would you feel about that? Well, right. I mean, if it bothered me, if it bothered me that much, I would stop going there. But as a business owner, like you, you've got to understand that that would alienate a huge number of people and maybe you just wouldn't do it. Yeah. But look at the success of the Republican party. I mean, all their, their Christian buffoonery, uh, you know, it, 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 uh, it, it, it boosts their numbers amongst a certain group of people. And, and isolates, uh, or you know, uh, but why do that? Set. But why do that? Like, why not just because you don't need because you, you don't need because you don't need everybody? It's an expression of what you believe to be true, and the closer you think you are to truth, 
the more urgency you ought to have about it. Right? Yeah. Like if I believe something to actually truly believe a thing means that I am orienting my behavior mm -hmm. towards the truthfulness of that thing. And so like if you think that it is absolutely necessary that I, that everyone that comes into your store kneels in a certain place. Like if that is your truth, then as a business owner, yeah, I guess you ask your customers to do that and you take whatever hit in customer base that's going to produce because you believe that to be true. And you know, it's on a scale, right? Like my car wash has a little bulletin board that when you go in to pay your ticket, it says, would you like us to pray for you? P pin a little note up on this bulletin board. Mm -hmm. And it's very subtle. And I think it's very sweet. And I don't mind it at all. And I don't think that a person of any faith walking past that bulletin board ought to be very offended about it. Right. Um, but it, it certainly stops short of the point on that spectrum where you are, you know, asserting not just what your beliefs are, but what someone else's behavior ought to be. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think it's, it's a definitely a big scale of gray. And uh, I, mean, I the, think that if we've learned anything from this whole conversation, it's okay. So you have both a prerogative and a responsibility to act in ways that you feel are morally necessary and ethically reasonable but all of this stuff takes a lot of stop and think yeah um and and you got to make sure that you're you know you're you're educated deeply enough and convicted enough to take whatever consequences are going to come from your decisions yeah and you've got to make sure that whatever power or authority you think you're acting on does actually belong to you. Yeah. So we, we solved it. So in summary, we solved ethics. Be, be <laughs> careful <laughs> how you license your open source software. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and Think about for it the Dev Mode podcast, I'm Michael Rogg. <laughs> I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Earl Johnston. I'm Mary Millivan. Oh, I can't wait to hear what comments y'all are going to leave on our website. <laughs> FM. Please come join this conversation. We'll post a bunch of uh, episode links. You can follow us on the Twitters, on the iTunes, pretty much everywhere that has a Dev Mode FM handle. Uh, and please, if you're listening on iTunes, do give us a review. It helps other people find the show. I'm going to put Michael's email up there. You can direct all comments to Michael. Bye-bye. <laughs> <Bye. laughs> we'll see you all next time.